this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. Today we're starting a new series. It's great to have new people with us this morning. Uh, If you want to go and check out any old messages, please do. But we're starting a new series and we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9. It's a very famous passage. Um, There are Christmas cards with it on. And the series is called, He Shall Be Called. He Shall Be Called. Because Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus. It was written at a time when the Israelites were in a difficult place, a very dark place. It was written to say there is hope. There is a promised one coming. There is a Messiah that is going to be here and his name will be called. And so as we come to Christmas, we remember that baby that's born, but he was promised. He was promised hundreds of years before. The, Testament, the Old Testament is full of prophecies that this Messiah was coming, where he was going to be born, where he was going to come from little bits about what his life would be. And actually, here we see in Isaiah chapter 9 that actually we see some of those promises made 700 years or so before Jesus. That's incredible, isn't it? And I think somebody once said the prophecies in the Old Testament coming true in one person is a little bit like covering the entire United States with silver dollar coins, painting one of them red, shooting an arrow from the moon and hitting that red coin. The chances of it happening are so minuscule, and yet we see them consistently fulfilled in Jesus. We see them consistently fulfilled. So this morning, we're not going to look at the names this morning. We're going to start with what happens at the beginning of the chapter. And I want to say to you this morning, it's not all doom and gloom. It's a good message, isn't it? It's not all doom and gloom. You might be thinking right now, What a nightmare we're having. What a nightmare that we can't hug people. Some of you are thinking, great, we can't hug people. But some of you are thinking, it's just awful. You know, we celebrated the wedding yesterday of Uche and and, uh, Sorochi. Got the name right. There we go. And actually, it was brilliant. But you could see, particularly, a a lot of Nigerians who wanted to get up and dance and, and hug. And we couldn't do it. And you might think it's just so dark at the moment. There appears to be no end. But it's not all doom and gloom. There is something I like and something I dislike about this time of year. And you might agree with me. Okay, one thing that I really dislike is the fact that it gets dark so early. Anyone with me? Yeah? The fact that it gets dark so early. This week particularly, it's been some really gloomy days. Really gloomy, grey, cold days. And I sit there and I can't go for a run because it's gloomy and miserable. Paul Hardingham would say, no, you can go for a run, Johnny. It doesn't matter that it's gloomy and miserable. You just get out there and do it. I look out and go, no, I can't. It's gloomy and miserable. I ain't going. And actually, I've been, really, I've been trying really hard. But you look at it and you think, it feels like it's time for bed. It's only four o'clock and you've not even had your tea. Yeah? Anyone had that experience? Yeah, it's terrible. And then the other night, I went out briefly into Dalton. 
And Romney Park isn't known normally for its vibrant displays of Christmas lights. But as I drove up the dark farm track to where Romney Park was, I drove along it, it was amazing. Everybody on Romney Park was just celebrating light. The lights, the houses were incredible. I drove along and I just went, wow, it was like Blackpool Illuminations. And when I got back home, it was like Blackpool Illuminations because they'd had all the lights on in every room. But anyway, but the lights twinkling in the darkness and the gloom make a difference, don't they? Without the darkness, they'd be rubbish. I'm just going to demonstrate that, okay? Okay, it's a bit feeble, isn't it? It's generally a bit feeble. But can we just turn all the lights off, Jake, and quickly shut the blinds? Just talk amongst yourselves at home, okay? But turn the lights off and shut the blinds for me, okay? It'll still probably be pretty feeble because these lights aren't going to go anywhere. But, But it's already a bit more impressive, isn't it? Yeah? It's already a bit more impressive. At home, don't worry, it's just a flame, okay? It's not that impressive, I know. But that's already more impressive without the light, isn't it? So actually, we do need the darkness to let the light shine. We do need the darkness in order for that to look a bit more special. And actually, it's not all doom and gloom. Because this morning, you might be stuck in darkness, but those lights that twinkle in the dark and the gloom are stunning. They are stunning. I saw pictures on Facebook of the roundhouse on Walney this week. Somebody commented that it looks like Christmas has thrown up on the building. It's it's amazing. Anyone been? Yeah, it's incredible. If you've not been, go at night because it's more impressive. But the lights dazzle. There is something about a light in the darkness, isn't there? It can be stunning. You know, think about it. When there's a full moon in a clear sky, something special about that, isn't there? Wow. Or a firework exploding. Have you ever seen a firework in the daytime? Bit rubbish. But actually, that light needs the darkness to look even more spectacular. But gloom isn't about just what we physically see. It isn't just about our eyes. And today we start this series looking at Isaiah chapter 9. It features a king who went his own way and depended on other things than God. And it was disastrous. The Israelites ended up oppressed and controlled, all because they'd lost sight of God. They ended up as servants to the Assyrians because this one king decided he wasn't going to pay any attention to God. It was a dark, distressing time. But then there's another king who comes along who follows God completely. And the result, he brings them out of that servitude. He brings them out of that oppression. He brings them out of that dark place into something a lot lighter. So they were in a time of doom and gloom. A bit like today. Some of you feeling like it's a bit doom and gloom. Some of you feeling like it's just been awful and will it ever change? Maybe you're worried about vaccines. Maybe you're worried about the virus. How will we ever get out of this? Maybe those are questions that you're facing and it feels pretty dark at times. Well, it felt dark for the Israelites, but there was good news. There was good news. So we're going to start looking at Isaiah chapter 9. If you have got your Bible, I'll read from verses 1 to 4. And then stop. Normally the words will be on the screen, hopefully next week. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. That's a good good start, isn't it? There will be no more gloom. For those who were in distress in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of deep darkness. That's even worse than darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased the joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke, have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Okay, lots of words there, (laughs) lots of words. But I want to say this this morning, for those in distress, there will be no more gloom. There's a promise For those in distress, there will be no more gloom. How many of us want that promise for us today? How many of us are saying, yes, I need a bit of that. For those in distress, there will be no more gloom. The land that these people lived in was a land described as brutal. It was a land full of poverty, full of hunger, a land without hope, a people who were already beaten, powerless, stripped of safety and security, where everything that they worked for was taken by their oppressors. They could have a field, be ready to harvest it, and it was gone. That was how they were living. Sounds pretty dark, doesn't it? But there is hope. It's not all doom and gloom. The people in this dark place have the hope of a great light. Not this, this feeble thing. They have the hope of a great light. A great light. Chapter 8, just before this, things have gotten so dark that God's people have been consulting ghosts and familiar spirits. They've been consulting other things than God. They've been going to other places, maybe fortune tellers, clairvoyance, all those different things. Consulting those instead of placing their confidence in the almighty God. Instead of placing their confidence in who God is, they have put their confidence in superstitious idols. God brings breakthrough. Nobody else. It's clear in these verses, you, you have shattered the yoke. You have brought the light. Throughout the Bible, light and the power of it is linked to God breaking through. If I said to you, can you think of a a bit of the Bible where it talks about light being evidence for God's power, what would you think of? Chapter 1 of Genesis, let there be light. And there was Let there be light, dark, formless, chaotic mess that God breaks through, light. The rainbow after the flood represents the promise of God. What is a rainbow? Well, it's the full spectrum of light. It's all of light split into different bits and seen for all that it is. God's power breaking through. Moses at the burning bush, the bush that didn't burn up, it drew his attention in the middle of the desert because there was something powerful about it. There was something strange. God breaking through as light in the darkness. The pillar of fire that accompanied the Israelites around the desert that protected them, that was a sign of safety and a sign of security, comfort and naturally, supernaturally God present with them. Can you see that's that's just the first two books of the Bible. God breaks through powerfully when he's seen in light. And sometimes that light looks more powerful in a dark place. A bit like the man, it says in the people, it says in Isaiah, sorry, the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. It reminded me of a Milton Jones joke where he said, have you heard about the man who stayed up all night wondering where the sun went and then it dawned on him? Um, okay, 
It's not mine. I gave credit to somebody else. It's fine. Anyway, we don't like being in the dark, do we? Whether it's knowledgeably or whether it's actually in the dark, it's a big fear of many. We have had foster children in our house. Some of them rough and tough. Some of them think that, you know, they can hack it. But, you know, nearly every single one of them wants a light on at night because they don't like the dark. They don't like the dark. There's a fear of the dark. It comforts them. It's safe. It stops you standing on three-pin plugs or bits of Lego. Yeah? Nothing more painful than that, is there? Apparently. I've stood on a plug. That's really bad. Why do we not like the dark? Because things hide in the dark. There's fear of the unknown in the dark. We don't know what's coming next in the dark. But the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Have seen a great light. And it points to him. In Isaiah chapter 9, it's more than just being unable to see. It's about recognising that God is breaking through. That they've not got the credit for it, but it's God that's doing it. It's God that's coming in. It's his light. It's not one person. It's his power. It's his light. Do you know, God acts all the time. But sometimes we miss it because we're so fixated on the doom and gloom. We're so fixated on the darkness that we miss out on seeing the light. We're so fixated on the darkness. Take our current situation. It's nearly a year since we had to live in lockdown. It's nearly a year since we've had that isolation. For some of us, that has gone incredibly quickly. I've got a house full of people. It's gone incredibly quickly. Sometimes it's been frustrating. I love them very much. But it's not been easy, but it's gone quickly. But for some others, it might have been really slow and hard and difficult. But let's imagine that we've been stuck in this situation for five years. How's that feel? Ten years. The Israelites are stuck in their oppressed situation. They've been in there a long time. Not just a year, a long time. That would be really dark, wouldn't it? Really dark, really gloomy, really doom-like. In that time, if we'd spent five or ten years, we might stop remembering the good things before. Yeah? We might get so used to wearing these masks that we're so used to only seeing the eyes of people and never seeing their smile. We might get so used to hand sanitizer that we just rub it all over in the morning before we go out of the house. We might not go out of the house. We might not see anybody. You might stop remembering some of the incredible things that have happened to you before 2020. But we've only been there a year and already some of us have forgotten those things. We might forget the freedom of holidays. We might forget massive church meals together. We might forget men's nights. We might forget ladies' conferences. We might forget gatherings. We might forget New Year's Eve parties. Some of us would probably like to forget New Year's Eve parties. We might forget some of those things because when we're in deep darkness, we might struggle to see God because we fix ourselves and our eyes on the darkness that surrounds instead of the great light. The God who has delivered us in the past is the same God today and he will deliver us again and he's still at work. We struggle to see the God who is still at work in the present, God of our present, God of our future. You hold it all together. We've just sung that. We've just praised him and said, God, you are the God of now. Even though it looks dark, it looks gloomy, it looks difficult, you are the God of today. You're still at work in our present and we forget that. So we start to find comfort in other places. 
We start to find wisdom in other places. We start to search for anything that might bring us out of the gloom. We start to think of anything that might protect us from how we're feeling. When actually we just need to look at the great light that is God. Jesus, the light of the world. The light of the world. I've told a story before. I'm going to tell it again very briefly about Basil Brush. Okay, I had a Basil Brush toy as a child. I'd forgotten I had a Basil Bush toy because I was a bit older, uh, not massively older, and I slept and shared a room with my brother. And one night I woke up in the middle of the night and actually I thought I saw, I needed the, I needed the loo, okay? I was only about probably eight or nine. I needed the loo, woke up, opened my eyes, and I saw a wolf on my chest of drawers. What did I do? I saw comfort in my duvet, thinking, right, if I hide myself under the duvet, the wolf won't get me, and I won't see the wolf, and I won't be scared of the wolf. Did it work? No, because I still thought, I need the toilet, and I ain't going to the toilet, there's a wolf on my chest of drawers. I'm not getting out of my bed, because that wolf is going to get me. So what did I do? I buried myself deeper. I, I, I read a book, I think, with a torch under the duvet to distract my thoughts, but still, I couldn't get away from the fact I needed to go somewhere, but the wolf was stopping me. Eventually, what did I need to do? I needed to turn the light on. Because as soon as I turned the light on, I saw that it was Basil Brush. Sat on my chest of drawers. It wasn't a wolf, just a harmless, cuddly toy. But cowering under my duvet didn't help me. Distracting my thoughts didn't help me. Shutting my eyes really tight and hoping it goes away didn't help me. It only helped when I turned the light on. It only helped when I switched the light on so I could see what was going on. When the burdens are lifted, Isaiah says it's important that they recognise it's God breaking through. You have shattered the burdens, the yoke. You have taken it away. You have lifted that heavy load. God, it's not those superstitious nonsense we've looked to. It's not those spirits and mediums and ghosts we've looked to. It is you, the God Almighty, the God of heaven and earth, breaking through. They recognise God's saving presence. What do they do? They rejoice. It says he increases their joy. God can increase our joy. But sometimes it's a choice to look at the light instead of the darkness. Sometimes it's a choice it's more than seeing what surrounds us. It's really easy to rejoice at a wedding. Not as easy to rejoice at a funeral. But we can rejoice in God no matter what. It is about recognising who is acting on our behalf. And today, if you don't know Jesus, God is still working for you. He is still saying, come to me. He is still trying to get your attention. How does he do it? He does it through light. Because in this dark world, there are people who say, this little lot of mine, I'm going to let it shine. If you're a Christian this morning, God expects you to shine that light so others can see it. And sometimes it will shine brighter in the darkness. Sometimes it will be more effective and amazingly spectacular in the darkness. But when people are in darkness, they forget. The Israelites have forgotten, okay? But they forgot 700 years later when Jesus was here. If you were listening last week, I'm just going to take you back very quickly. I read from John chapter 7, verses 40 to 44, and it says this. This is when Jesus was walking the earth. These were the religious people. It says, those in the crowd who heard these words were saying, this has to be the prophet. They recognised Jesus. This has to be the Messiah. This has to be the promised one. 
he's doing everything that has been promised. It's got to be him. Others said, he is the Messiah. But others were saying, the Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? The Messiah, do you remember we talked about that last week? The Messiah doesn't come from Galilee, does he? They've forgotten. 700 years ago, the verses from Isaiah that they would have known well said this, but in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations. They've forgotten that Galilee is part of who Jesus was going to be. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but they forgot their scriptures. This chapter of Isaiah is definitely talking about the Son of God. He shall be called. It's got to say that in a bit. Yeah, it does say in several places as well that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, will come from David's line. And all those things, Jesus meets that criteria. But Galilee? Let me just look at this. In Isaiah, it particularly picks out two tribes of Israel. And you might think, why? Well, they're important. It talks about Zebulun and Naphtali, yeah? You know Jacob and Joseph. Jacob was Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel were Zebulun, Asher, Gad, Nebulun, or whatever. I could do the Adrolloid Weber version. It'd be much easier to remember. Um, I can't even remember. Jacob, Jacob and sons, that's the one, yeah. But it picks out two tribes of Israel, Zebulun and Naphtali. Why just those two? Galilee was a melting pot of all the different tribes. There was loads of other tribes there. There was Asher. He was settled in Galilee. There was the tribe of Issachar. They were settled in Galilee. So why pick out 700 years before Zebulun and Naphtali? Some of you are thinking, Johnny, this is a bit too over my head. This is where it gets exciting. Because Naphtali was specifically linked to Capernaum. Okay? Naphtali specifically linked to Capernaum. What's Capernaum? It was a major place in where Jesus served. The wedding at Cana. He went to Capernaum by Galilee all the time. It was part of who he was going to become. What was the other one? Naphtali. Naphtali was, Naphtali was Capernaum, sorry. Zebulun is specifically linked to Nazareth. We've all heard of Jesus of Nazareth because that's where he grew up. That's where he learned alongside his dad and his mum. Isn't that amazing that 700 years before, Isaiah points out the two places where Jesus was going to do everything in the main that he did because the people walking in darkness were going to see a great light. Who is the light? Jesus. Because he points the way to the Father. This morning, Johnny Harrison is not the light. This morning, Springmount Church is not the light. He is the light. But he shines in us if we're Christians. So you can be the light with Jesus in you. It's him that shines. You might be going through darkness, but it's him that shines. I must hurry up. I've gone on with the notices too long. But these people, these rabbis of Jesus' day, treated both Galilee and Nazareth with utter contempt. They thought, who could come from Galilee? What could possibly good come from Nazareth? Yet Jesus did. The prophecies were true. The rabbis of Jesus' day were living in darkness and they were not recognising God's work. They weren't recognising Jesus, but Jesus most definitely honoured Galilee. 700 years before, that's the promise, and it happened. Just involved some waiting, yet people forgot to look for good. So this morning, it's not all doom and gloom. It's not all doom and gloom. Even if, all we're, not see even if we're not seeing it, 
God is still working. We sing that, don't we? Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Because God is good and God is here. God is present. And we have to keep recognising how he has broken through in the past. Otherwise we forget. And instead of looking at the light, we look at the gloom. We look at the darkness. And we cannot allow the darkness to consume us. Have you heard of FOMO? It's not like a type of clay that you make things into. That's FIMO, okay? Anyway, put your hand if you've heard of FOMO, okay? A few, few people. I was going to say the younger people. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's going to throw things at me now, okay? FOMO stands for the fear of missing out. Anyone, any of that? Yeah? FOMO. Um, it's quite a good fear sometimes, isn't it? Because you don't want to miss out. This week, we got an email from a lady in Solihull. She might, be, she might be watching because she's been tuning into our online sermons and she must have signed up to our newsletter. And we haven't had an official newsletter for a few months. And so she emailed us worried that she hadn't received our newsletter. She's from near Birmingham. <laughs> That's mad. But actually, she wrote back and said, oh, no worries, because I said, we've not had one properly. There'll be one coming this week. She said, oh, no worries. It's just my FOMO my fear of missing out. She didn't want to miss out and she thought she had. Today, don't miss out on God by just looking at the darkness. Don't miss out on the, do- don't miss out on the light by sharing and staring at the doom and gloom because he calls us to be filled. She didn't want to miss out and thought she had. It was better to keep checking than forget about it entirely. That was her thoughts. The Israelites could have taken a leaf out of her book because it's better to keep remembering what God has done than forget what he's done. Forget where we've come from. So today, as I finish, we can say that it's not all doom and gloom. Why? Well, Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7 go on to say this, and this will be our focus over the next few weeks. Can I recommend that you read it and you learn it? that you read it and you learn it. You might have had a Christmas card from church as well. It's on the front of that, so you can read it every day. We've done it to help you tie in with the series this year, okay? Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7 say this, For to us a child is born. This is the light that Isaiah just talked about. For us the child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Who wants unending peace? Well, that's what the light came to bring. Who wants a government that is right, that is fair? That's his kingdom. That's his kingdom. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice. That's fairness and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. There's a promise. It will happen because the light has already come. It has dawned. We've got to stop looking at the darkness and fix our eyes on the light. There is hope. There is the promise of an end. There's a promise of an end to this darkness completely. And it took Jesus to die. There's a promise of victory, of an end to oppression and depression. There's a promise of a God that will enlarge his nation. There's a promise that joy will increase. 
And it has done because Jesus died for us. We can rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice in what's going on. Rejoice in what he's done. How will all those things happen? Because a child is born. And it was worth waiting 700 years. We've waited a year for this to be over. <laughs> and we're already a bit impatient and a bit... I'm going to hit somebody in the queue at Primark. I've not got a Primark or gone to Primark, but maybe that's how we're feeling. But God's waiting is worth it, even if it takes 700 years or more, even if it goes beyond our lifetime, because actually there is a life promised that is eternal with him, that promises all these things. A child that was born to die in my place. A child that was born to take the punishment I deserve. A child that was born to give me forgiveness and to give me freedom, to give me love, to give me joy. Or we could carry on today, leave this place and keep stumbling around in the dark. That's the choice. If we've seen the light, then keep it in focus. If we know Jesus, keep him at the forefront. And don't forget that he's delivered us before. And he will do again, even in eternity. If the light we've discovered has made any difference to us, then we need to show it. We need to let it shine. Me in my small corner <laughs> and you in yours. How do we do it? By recognising when God has broken through by giving him the glory, by giving him the praise, by holding on to his promises and by allowing him to shine through us and work in us and change us. And by remembering that it's not all about the sun, S-U-N, but it's all about the sun, S-O-N. The people who wandered in darkness have seen a great light. That light is Jesus. If you today have never known what it is to get to know Jesus, we've got some literature we can give you at the end. We've got some cards that will help you to recognise that it's all about what he did for you and what he's done for you and what he will do for you. That he died in your place so that we could be forgiven and so that we could be free. So this morning, fix our eyes on the sun. Fix our eyes on the sun. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you today for all that you are and for all that you do. I pray that as we go into this Advent season, that we will be the light because you live in us. Father, I pray that you will be shining radiantly out of our lives. And Father, I pray for any who are walking in darkness, for any who are stumbling around in the doom and gloom. I pray, Lord, that you will lift their eyes. Lift your eyes above the rubbish so that they may see your glory and know your presence with them. In Jesus' name, amen.